0: Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Our reading will be taken from the book of John. We'll be reading from chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Be seated, please.
1: I'm glad to see you back. I've had a beautiful Lord's Day. We live in a place where we have some pretty days during the winter. I always think about them as just gifts from God to remind us that the spring is coming. And as you know, everybody who has his head screwed on right believes that spring is the best time of year. I just can't wait for spring. All right, let's take up with it. We have three of them left. We're going to be in John chapter 11, and then John 14, and then John seven, uh, six, uh, 15, sorry. <clears throat> so let's take them one at a time, and we'll, we'll finish up this lesson. John chapter 11 is familiar to you. It's the, it's the death of Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus from the dead. But there's something here that I don't think we often talk about. And I think it's fascinating. And frankly, I really hadn't noticed it until I was writing this sermon and preparing for this. And you think about the statement of Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. The context just makes this beautiful. So here's what happens. Let's, <clears throat> let's read it together. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany... The town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant, fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When you know, Bethany is two miles outside of Jerusalem. Now, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, this is important. So, what is it that Jesus just said? What did he say? This sickness isn't isn't for death, it's for the glorification of God, for the glorification of his son, that God will be glorified by it. And what's up with that? What how does that work? Well, in your margin, you might want to write John chapter 12, the next chapter, and verse 23. And here's what it says. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, Save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. There's no question about what that exchange means. It means that the glorification of Jesus is the cross. That's what's talked about here in the very next chapter. What is it? It's the glory of God. It's the glorification of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that he's about to go to the cross. So back to chapter 11, verse 4. Jesus said, this sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What does it mean? It means just this, is that the raising of Lazarus from the dead is going to be a catalyst for the cross. It's the facilitator. Now, I think there are a couple. I think the turning over the tables of money changers, I think that was also what happened. But this one is explicitly stated. So this, Jesus knows it right now. Your, your friend who you love is sick. Oh, I know what this is about. It's so that, that I'm going to go to the cross. And this will accelerate that. This will facilitate that. Now, for further evidence of that, I want you to, to, to go to the lower part of chapter 11 and verse 53. This is the end of this discussion of raising Lazarus from the dead. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Got it? From that day on this was it, because it didn't make any sense to let Jesus live. These these powerful Jews, they they viewed it, were going to lose their power. And, and so he had to die, that's all. He just had to die. And from this day forward, I mean, this miracle of raising a man from the dead, and they couldn't deny that it was true, we've got to put this to a stop. And so it was that that facilitated the cross. Now, set that aside for a minute and just take this part of it, which is that Jesus knew before he went to the tomb of Lazarus that Lazarus was dead and that he was going to raise him from the dead. That's going to be important. So we get down to um, verse 11, just to underscore this again. Jesus hasn't left yet to go see about the tomb of Lazarus and all of that. But verse 11, he's talking to his disciples. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps. I go that I may wake him out of sleep. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. You sure we need to go? There's danger in that part of the country. However, Jesus spoke of his death. They thought he was talking about rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. What you going to do, Jesus? I'm going to go raise him. I'm going to go wake him from this sleep, which is death. All right, Jesus hadn't gone yet, right? He hasn't gone. But he already knows that Lazarus is dead, and he knows that when he gets there, he's going to raise him from the dead. Now, hold that thought. So Jesus makes the trip to Bethany, and there is Martha. Mary's still in the house. Martha, the other sister, comes to see Jesus. And, And here's the first thing. Now, this is kind of interesting because in a few minutes, Jesus is going to see Mary. She's going to come out of the house. Martha's going to let her know Jesus, the teacher, is here. And both of them start the conversations with the same phraseology or same term. Same um, statement. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It kind of stings, I think. I, it sounds like a little rebuke, doesn't it? You know, I know that you love him, but what? Your schedule, you couldn't, couldn't you just come? and Because if you were here, what you would have done is raised him. You, I mean, uh, healed him. You would have healed him if you'd have been here. If, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now we have the conversation that tonight's point is about. Now, I've, I've brought you to this point. Here's what it's about. I'm in verse 21 of John 11. <clears throat> then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Stop. Jesus knows he's about to heal him, right? Everybody clear about that? Jesus came for this purpose. He knows he's going to heal him. And as if she thinks to herself... That sounds a little abrupt, a little rough. I mean, he is my close friend. He's my brother's close friend. But he is the son of God, too. And so it's like she softens it in verse 22. But I know that even now, whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She doesn't believe he's going to raise him from the dead. It sounds a little bit like that, but she doesn't believe that. Next verse says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, what's Jesus talking about? He's going to raise him. I mean, he's he's just, in a few minutes, Lazarus is going to come out of that tomb. Jesus came for this purpose, and Jesus is going to raise him. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Martha doesn't get it. She says, verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And now the verse, 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. <clears throat> you could emphasize the, the word I. Listen to it now. I and the resurrection, and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What's he thinking? I'm about to raise him from the dead. What's she thinking in the resurrection at the last day he's going to raise? <clears throat> I think it's just kind of funny that, that you have this amazing moment. And what Jesus is saying here is this. Martha. What's the difference between me me raising, having the power to raise somebody in the resurrection at the last great day, and my power to raise your brother right now? Look at me. I'm the resurrection and the life. I've got this power. I've got the ability to do this. She said, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And then she goes and gets married. You know what? I'm... I, uh, I, I, guess, I guess I'm like you about this. I, I, I've really had plenty of times to stand beside new graves in my life. Uh, as a preacher, I've stood beside many, many new graves. And uh, there have been most of those times when I knew the person who was deceased, I knew that family. That's, that's what preachers do. And... I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm just saying that I, I've seen a lot of them. And, and I've stood beside new graves of people I did not know, didn't know the family. They just needed a preacher and asked me to come. I'm going to tell you something. I've done, I've done this last one too. I, I've stood beside the new graves of family members. Most of you have too. I'm going to tell you right now. That's a, that's a different thing. Isn't it? That's just different. It's, it's, no, it's almost like they're not the same. I mean, I just, I just want to say that I, I've experienced it a number of times, and I've had enough of that. I don't mean I have any control over it. I don't mean I'll never will do it again. I'm just saying that I've had enough. I, I believe if I never have to go through any of that again, I'll be happy. I don't want to do that anymore. And you and I are here tonight in the name of the one who is the resurrection and the life. And when you talk about someone who created life in the beginning and emphasizes here to this woman who's just lost her brother, and she just can't even grasp it, his response, I believe, is, it's an umbrella response. It's true that it's about the resurrection ultimately of the dead, but it's also about what's about to happen right now. And he knew that he was going to raise him from the dead, and he was just about to do it when he says, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection of the life. I just want to ask you this question, Christian. Is he, is he the resurrection of the life, in the life today? I don't mean to suggest that he's going to raise us from the dead as he did during this miraculous time. I know that's not true, but I tell you this. The promises which we have in Scripture that when He returns, the graves are going to open up are profoundly true. He's still the resurrection of the life and that's why this is here so that when I read it, I know that He's going to keep His word because He's the one who's got that power. Is that important to you? If it wasn't true, we read 1 Corinthians 15 and if it wasn't true, then when you and I Walk through that silent city of the dead and we, we buried the remains of that husband or wife or mother or father or brother or sister, we said our last goodbye. If this wasn't true, can we, I don't know how we can bear that. I don't know how we can bear it. But in Christ, you know, we have these promises. And so, in John 5 and 28, marvel not at this, the hour is coming in which all that are in their graves will hear his voice and will come forth. <clears throat> they that have done good, the resurrection of life. They that have done evil, the resurrection of damnation. You know what? Jesus promised that, and he's the one who said to Martha on this occasion, your brother's going to rise again. I'm the resurrection and the life. You mean he's got, he can do this? Oh yeah, he can do this. He, he can do this, and he's going to raise us up in the last day. So you have 1 John 2 and 25, this is the promise which he promised us, even eternal life. Yeah, but what if I die? Well, you will. Unless the Lord comes again before you die, you will, and I will, but I'm going to be raised again. There's the promise. And so here's what uh, Colossians 1 and 18 says, that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. It doesn't mean he's the firstborn and that no one was raised from the dead prior to him being raised. It just means that in rank, he is the firstborn. It, it means that tonight, you and I can talk like this. We, we can have this sermon, this conversation, and we can say that he's the resurrection of the life, and there's our hope, and you can bank on it, and we can do that because he's the first fruits resurrected from the dead. All right, here's, here's the first one for tonight then. And it's number five on our list. I'm the resurrection and the life. All right. Let's turn a couple of pages over to John chapter 14. This one is uh, interesting to me because it is so familiar. I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. How many times have you heard that in your life? I suppose most everybody in this room can recite that verse. John 14 to 6. That's a good one. I'm glad. But I want you to know something. Here's, Here's what I want to do with this one. In each of these words, you have the fact that Jesus not only partakes of these things, the way, the truth, the life, but that he is the epitome of those things. He is those things personified. Now, here's what I mean. You stay in John chapter 14, but come on over to John 1. Back to John 1. Keep your finger there because we're coming back. But here's John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Who is that? It's not just a what, it's a who. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Who are you talking about? Jesus. He is so much the epitome of the... He's Logos. He is so much the epitome of the Word of God. He's the Word of God personified that you can refer to him as the Word. You can call him that because he is the epitome of the Word, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He's God. You you know that. You can call him God. He is God. All things were made by him. Without him was nothing made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The life is in him. He is the life, because life is in him. He is back to our verse in chapter 14, "I am the way, the truth and the life." Now what about the way? He's the way. Now what's fascinating to me is that and I'm going to read a number of verses that use this phrase, this or this term. And you, you would just naturally say, well, he's the way. He illuminates our way to heaven. He went to the cross and died for us, and he he therefore cleared the path by forgiving us of our sins with his blood, clears the path for us to be eligible to go to heaven. Right? He's the way. Right. Why don't you think about this? I I know something about the New Testament church because I've read the New Testament. I know what they were called. Acts 11 and 26, the disciples were called Christians. Right? And I know... I know something about what the congregations were referred to or the church universally is called and it's called different things you go over to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and it's called the uh, the church of God mm. the family or the household of God or or in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2 it's called the church of God which is at Corinth or Romans 16:16 16, 16, it's called the church of Christ there and all that is good but just hold on to this for a second. Think about this. It was very common, apparently, in these early days, the first century church, for the group of people that belonged to Jesus to be referred to as the way. The way. Now, I love that. Because if you put this together, it seems to me that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth because he is the epitome of truth. And so you can call him that. He is the truth. He is the life because he's the epitome of life. And he gives us life. And life is in him. So he is life. And he is the way. And so when you look at the church in the first century and you refer to it as the way, what are you referencing? And you might, you know, you might just trivialize it and say, well, it just it just means that this is the way that they walk. This is the way that they live their lives. This is that way. And they call themselves Christians. But I think it's much more than that. Because Jesus is the way. What do you call God's people today? You call them Christians. When you do that, you're wearing his name. What do you call the church? Or what do you mean when you call the church the way? And I would say you're calling them by the name of Jesus. You're calling them the way. He, he's the way. Now, hold this and walk with me now. I'm going I'm to go through several passages. Here's Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Acts 9 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way... Stop a second. I went through, I don't know, half a dozen translations, and it's very interesting that the way is capitalized. The only place that wasn't true was in the King James. The rest of them, including the New King James, which I have here, It's capitalized. What are they on to here? What is it that they're thinking? (laughs) What they're thinking is exactly what I'm talking about, which is that Jesus is the way. And when they talked about the church, they called them the way. Not everybody did, mind you, but at least some were. And that's what's referenced here and who Saul was looking for when he wanted to persecute Christians. If he found any who were of the way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Go to Acts 19 and verse 9. Acts 19, verse 9. But when some some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. The way. In my Bible, it's capitalized. Acts 22, verse 3. I indeed am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, <clears throat> and was zealous toward God as you are today. And I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. This way. Now, twenty four fourteen. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. Some people call it a sect. It is the way. Now, 24 verse 22. And when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, He adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I'll make a decision on your case. What does that mean? It means this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the term, the way, links these people to Jesus, who is the Christ. And I would suggest, just for your thought tonight, That referring to the church as the way or to the disciples, this assembly, as the way is very similar to referring to Christ's people as Christians who are wearing his name. So, the second one for tonight is John 14 and 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Here's the third one and the last one for today. Go to John chapter 15. And this one has to do with, with the horticulture. Verse one, John 15. I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. <clears throat> Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, here are the essentials, essentials for this discussion is that in this illustration, uh, here are some very clear things. One is that Jesus is the vine. The second thing is that that Jesus, uh, that the Father rather, God the Father, is the vine dresser or the husbandman. And then the third thing is that the branches are you and me. I would parenthetically mention to you that that when we in the church emphasize the non-denominational, the pre-denominational nature of the church, sometimes people who argue in favor of lots of different religions, and how that that's a good thing, and all the different denominations somehow under the umbrella of Jesus Christ, and that his body consists of many denominations. I reject that. But sometimes that's used, or they use this passage. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Well, what are the branches? Well, of course, they are all the different denominations, all the different religions out there under the name Christendom, All, all of these He's divine and we all are the branches, all the different churches. But if you read this again, what you'll see, of course, is that these aren't religions. These are people. These are individuals. Right? Verse three. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may, it may bear more fruit. You are always, already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. <clears throat> Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Here's the statement. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Now follow me on this. You drop down now from here to verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. This is, this is critical. I mean, how is it that a person gets into Him? Well, Galatians 3 and 27 says that we're baptized into Christ, right? We're baptized into Christ. We put on Christ. And this is talking about being in Him as, as a branch would be in the vine. And what does the vine do? Now look at the picture up here. These little branches where you see the grapes, <clears throat> those are branches. The vine is that stalk-like thing at the bottom. That's really important to see because in the, in the illustration, that's Jesus. Now, if you chop it down at the bottom, if you cut, if you cut the vine at the bottom, very soon, a couple of days, all these leaves are going to turn brown, right? Because they survive on the sustenance that comes up through that, that vine. And Jesus is the vine. The branches are you and me and we bear fruit. The fruit, you can, you can go Galatians 5 and you can read the fruit of the Spirit and that's, that's a great, that's a great reality that we bear fruit because we're in Christ. But I want you to see one more thing. Verse 6 says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out. Is it possible then for a person who's a Christian and who is saved to walk away from the vine as you were, as it were, to pull away from this? Is it possible for a person who was saved to live in such a way as to be lost? Yeah. According to six, if anyone does not, anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. Now, verse five, but what if he stays? What if he stays faithful to the Lord? I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So the third and final one is, I'm the vine and and you're the branches. I want, I want you to leave tonight with this in your mind, is that you and I are sustained by our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our bread. He is our vine. He is our light. He is the resurrection and the life. So that should I die tonight, that's okay, that's all right, because I have hope in him. I have hope in him. <clears throat> it may be that there's someone here tonight who's not a Christian. You need to be in Christ. You need to be connected to this vine. And the way to do that, to get into Christ, Romans 6 and Galatians 3 says, is by being baptized. <clears throat> Repent of your sins and confess Him. You can obey the gospel. We'll be happy to help you do that tonight. We've got everything ready. If you just want to study about it first, we'd be happy to sit down and talk to you about it. If you need the prayers of the church tonight, for whatever reason, you know that we'll be happy to pray with you. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you'd like to respond, come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email. At Collie at WestHuntsville